Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. For our guests and visitors and for those who have just joined us, uh, last week we commenced uh, a new sermon series exploring counterfeit gods, the battle for the control of our affection, for our trust and obedience. It is based on a book by Kyle Eidelman, and the title of the book is God's at War. I'd like to begin with uh, Timothy Keller's insightful and very helpful definition of an idol. He writes, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion, your energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family, it can be children, career, making money or achievement, and critical acclaim or saving face and social standing. It can be romantic relationships peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality, virtue, or even success in Christian ministry. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have this, Then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll feel like I have value. Then I'll feel like I have significance and security. This morning, we're going to look at the gods of pleasure. All of us have a worldview. You may not be aware of it. Uh, You may, may not know what it is, but you have adopted one. It is the lens by which we make sense of the world and make decisions. I read an article some weeks ago by David Williams, who's a trainer at Church Mission Society in Melbourne. He writes that the human cultures, that human cultures can be broadly divided into three predominant worldviews, fear, power, shame, honor, and guilt, innocence. In cultures that believe in a world that's controlled by spirits, like in Haiti, PNG, and many parts of Indonesia, for instance, You're trying to gain power and favor in the face of fear by appeasing the spirits. The inner voice that guides their motivation and their decision is an inner demon, a fear of this demon, which says, fear me and appease me or I'll get you. If you come from an honor and shame-based culture, your world is controlled by community expectations, particularly expectations of your elders, your parents. Uh, Your inner voice is a grandmother. This is so shameful if I did this. How can I face her if I did this? And finally, a world that is controlled by individual conscience, where people try to do the right thing to avoid guilt. Right and wrong is defined and determined by an external code, whether secular or religious social norms or expectations. Traditionally, this would be Western cultures like Australia. 
The inner voice in this worldview, in this culture, is an inner lawyer that says, don't do this. This is wrong. You'll be caught. This is the world Aussies grew up in during the 40s and 50s. However, the guilt-innocence culture is fading as the worldview of Western culture and being replaced by a pain-pleasure culture. In this worldview, decisions are made on what makes you feel good. The inner voice here is an inner therapist who says, if it makes you happy, go for it. You deserve to feel good. Hey, besides, uh, if it doesn't harm anyone and you feel good doing it, should be all right. You, your happiness is the most important of all. I think he's on point, isn't he, with his observation. Decisions are based on pleasure-seeking in this pain-pleasure culture. It's based on pleasure-seeking and pain-avoiding. Now, this is nothing new. The idea that individuals should maximize pleasure and minimize pain was prevalent in the 1700s during the rise of utilitarianism. Uh, for instance, a, a theory of morality which posits that the pleasure of happiness is the only thing that truly has intrinsic value. And actions that are, that are right are those that bring about happiness. And actions that are wrong are those that produce unhappiness. So it's all about your happiness. But what's wrong with the pursuit of pleasure? What's wrong with the pursuit of happiness? Surely it is not sinful or bad for you. In and of itself, not at all. All too often, Christians have given the impression that we're forbidden to experience pleasure and enjoy life. The point of the Christian faith is to repress life in the here and now as evidence that we're not of the world. Nothing could be further from the truth. To live holy lives, to live close to God is not to live miserable lives, okay? When God finished creating nature, He said, it is good. And then after he created Adam and Eve, his pleasure scale went up higher. He said, it is very good. I'm enjoying what I'm seeing. I take pleasure in what I have created. It stands to reason then that as God's image bearers, we're wired also to experience pleasure. For instance, we have in our body the reward neurotransmitter called dopamine that tells our brains this feels good. I want more. Serotonin, however, is the contentment uh, neurotransmitter that tells our brains, this feels good. I have enough. I don't want or need anymore. God put these chemicals there. What about sex? God thought it up. It was God's idea. Sex is God, God's idea to connect husbands and wives in celebration of their love and commitment to one another. Its purpose is to deepen the bond of love and intimacy in marriage. One of the Hebrew words for sex translated literally is a mingling of the souls. But sex is also pleasurable. If God wanted sex to be purely mechanical and devoid of pleasure, he could have designed it that way, but he didn't. Thankfully, Christians are moving from the notion that procreation, making babies, is the only legitimate purpose for sex. 
Praise God, we're not living in that age. Pleasure from food is another gift from God. It is about satisfaction as well as bodily sustenance. He's given, given us taste buds to enhance the pleasures food bring in high definition. We learned this from Ecclesiastes last year. There's nothing wrong with deriving pleasure from music, from watching TV, movie, going to the movies, watching sports, and playing computer games. They can help us chill out and replenish us. However, when we, to borrow from Paul's words in 2 Timothy 3-4, when we become lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, then we're making an idol out of pleasure. The phrase lovers of pleasure is a compound of two words in the Greek. The first is phileo, and we're familiar with that word. It means affection and love that can be so deep that it can include the idea of romance, and it's from the same root word that means to kiss. The second word is hedonos, and it's, usually, and it's used only five times in the New Testament, and each time it paints the picture of people completely preoccupied, obsessed with pleasure, and their own happiness as the highest good. Not surprisingly, that is what hedonism means. When we turn to pleasure instead of God for comfort and answers only He can provide, when we use pleasure from sex, food, entertainment, and other sources of pleasure to self-medicate, to avoid pain, uh, to escape from our problems, to cut ourselves off from people and from conflict, then we have made a God out of pleasure. Symptoms might be that we are unable to stop thinking about sex. We live to eat rather than eat to live. The number of hours we spend on computer games, uh, watching endless reruns of TV programs like Outlander and Poldark and whatever it is, you might be on your fourth rerun. The, the amount of time we spend on social media and on our phones, on Instagrams, checking out on how many likes we've received from that post that we just uh, uh, uploaded. When the hours of time we spend all these things begin to increase to the point where there's little time for anyone or anything else, then we have made a God out of these things. Why is this? We see, with pleasure, we can be at an optimal level beyond which, we, beyond which what we can enjoy can become boring and dissatisfying. Like substance abuse, the urge and search for pleasure becomes more and more and more compulsive and addictive, leaving a trail of destruction. That's how these habits are formed. That's how compulsion is formed. We need more and more and more to get the same kick. Sadly, our culture is one that encourages the pursuit of pleasure above all things. A sociologist, sociologist by the name of Bauman describes a society as one that is fluid and pro-consumption, obsessed with meeting our material needs immediately. It's a throwaway culture, 
And our needs are actually never satisfied. We want to consume more to feel complete. We spend all day wishing for new things. And as soon as we have them, we want something else. And as the consumer society that we are, we're constantly presented with new things, new toys. And thus, new desires pop up in us every day. That's why ads billion-dollar industry. They know it works. That's why they keep churning out these ads to lure into this vortex of, uh, of, of, of buying toys, new toys, new things. This could well explain why addiction is up. This could well explain why depression is up and death is up. For the first time since 1993, there's been a decline and life expectancy in the U.S. This is happening also in the U.K., in China, in Germany. Suicide rates amongst teenagers have reached an all-time high and continue to climb, which is ironic, don't you think? Because there's never been a generation in history with access to more material goods, entertainment, and comfort than this generation, especially in the industrialized world. The Worldwide Happiness Index is the lowest on record. Why is that? Because the God of pleasure is a counterfeit God. It makes promises it cannot deliver. The God of pleasure needs to be removed and replaced with God himself. Now, how do we do this? For that, I'd like us to look at one verse in Psalms. Psalms 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. King David is not saying, if you want to get what you really want, like that amazing sports car, if you want good things in your life, then get close to God. Pray a little bit more, read the Bible a little bit more, go to church a little bit more, Give more into the offering bag. Just endear yourself to God a little bit more, and then you'll have greater certainty that the desires of your heart will come to fruition. That is not what he is saying. Firstly, that's using God, and nobody likes to be used in any relationship, including God. And God certainly doesn't use people. He makes us useful, but he doesn't use people. Secondly, such an interpretation of the verse is shaped by this pain-pleasure worldview that has infected the church. An example of that is the prosperity gospel, that God is about our happiness. God is about our well-being exclusively. God is about fulfilling all of the desires of our heart. No, that is not what King David is saying. Instead, he's telling us to make God our delight, to make God our pleasure as an end in itself. We don't delight in God for, we don't delight in God to, we just delight in God as an end in itself. He says the same thing, but in a different way in Psalms 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see. It's an invitation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Enjoy God. Take pleasure in God. 
because he's absolutely good in every way, every time, even when we go through pain. Another psalmist penned these beautiful words. Psalm 73, verses 25 to 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is my portion forever. And when you read the context of the psalm, these closing words are even more stunning because he wrote these words at a time when he wasn't getting much at all from his relationship with God. So much so that he envied unbelievers, that he actually uh, 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 was jealous of how unbelievers were, were, were prospering in life. Here, here unbelievers are, are getting what they want, unbelievers enjoying their life, having the time of their life, and here he is, a, a believer, struggling, having health issues. And so he begins to wonder, what's the point of it all? And whether his relationship with God had been in vain. But as he reflected further, he realized that in reality, God is the best thing that has ever happened to him. That what he really, really, really wants and desires is actually God himself and the relationship he has with him. That is who and what he truly values in life. Kyle Eidelman, Eidelman writes, Nothing tastes better than the joy and satisfaction of knowing Christ. Nothing nourishes the soul as he does. Nothing feeds and strengthens and renews us like the time we spend with him each day. You see, only when we delight ourselves in the Lord, then we will have the true desires of our heart met. Because the true desires of our heart in the final analysis are actually God-shaped, as Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French philosopher, mathematician, scientist, and theologian, eloquently explains. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in men a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. Delight in the Lord, and he will give you True desires, you will meet and feel the true desires of your heart because they're actually God-shaped. When we find our delight in the Lord, when we make God our pleasure as an end in itself, don't be surprised to find that what we really want and what God wants for us are not as far apart as we think. Delighting ourselves in the Lord is also the only way to keep our desires and dreams from enslaving us as idols. If you don't delight on the Lord, then you will delight in your dreams and your desires. And when that happens, it will consume you. 
It will derail. Gradually and surely, your faith in the Lord. So how do we delight ourselves in the Lord? Well, let me suggest that we delight ourselves in the Lord by being present, by being present to God. Whether in prayer, for instance, reading the Bible, going to church, be present to the Lord. Now, I hope, if you're honest, I hope you can admit to this, that you can pray, read the Bible, go to church, sing songs, and not be present to God. Yeah? You read the Bible, tick, tick, tick. I've done my reading for the day. What did you get from the reading? I don't know. I, I don't even know what book I read. Right? Married couples, and those of you who have experienced relationships with the opposite sex, you know this. I do this more often than Sue, so Sue gets to say more often to me than I do to her. Honey, the lights are on, but no one is home. And what she's saying to me is, I'm there physically, but mentally, emotionally, I am not engaged. I'm not there, I'm elsewhere. And the same thing can be with us. We can do all these things and not be present to the Lord. And so if we are to delight in the Lord, be present to God. Be present to God. For instance, what would it mean to be present to the Lord when we read the Bible? Just as an example, the way we measure it is not by how much or how regular we read the Bible, but, whether, but by whether we approach the Bible expecting God to teach us, to teach us something we didn't know before. That we come to the Scripture to be present to the Lord is to expect God to surprise us. God, when I read my reading today, I'm anticipating you to speak to me. I'm expecting you to teach me something, to open my eyes, to see something about this passage I've not seen before. That's delighting in the Lord. That's how we can be present to Him. We engage Him. In other words, we connect with Him. We learned from Ecclesiastes last year that delighting in the, ourselves in the Lord was certainly have to include making the most of the life, talents, and blessings that God has given us as expressions of worship and gratitude to God. It is not a nihilistic, self-indulgent, mindless consumption of pleasures, but as Proven writes, it's rather the patient and joyful embrace of life, daily life as it comes to us as a gift from God. That's what it means to delight in the Lord. Eric Little, a Scotsman, a gold medal winner at the 1924 Olympics in Paris, embodies this. He was called by God to be a missionary to China, but he was also a runner, and he excelled in it. For Little, there was no conflict between his call to China and the fact that he excelled in athletics. This is what he said. I quote, I believe God has made me for a purpose. But he also, part of that purpose is, is that he's also made me fast. And when I run, I run, I feel his pleasure. No conflict. You see? 
So you can say like little, God has made me for a purpose, and part of that purpose is to enjoy food, good food. Like Ben and Laura, I know they love their food. But make sure when you cook up a storm, and as you put that meat into your mouth, go, I feel your pleasure. Right? That changes everything, doesn't it? If you do not feel the pleasure of God, can I suggest, and what you do, can I suggest the following? It could be that you don't know God's character. Or maybe today you realize, wow, God takes pleasure in me preparing food. That's news? And you might be more attentive to that. If you do not feel the pleasure of God in what you do, perhaps you're not doing the right thing. You're grieving God in, in whatever it is you're doing in, in your workplace, in your front line. Perhaps you've lost perspective and you've lost sight of God's purpose for you. You've lost sight that God has placed you there. You've allowed conflicts. You've allowed the pressure of work to consume you and take over and it's taken away the light and joy and pleasure that you started out with when you worked in that place. Perhaps you need to move on. That's why you're not feeling the pleasure of God. It's His sign to you. It's His way of saying to you, this is not where I've called you. I want you to leave this place. Now let me be clear that feeling His pleasure doesn't mean things are necessarily easy at work. Okay, please don't hear that. That if I'm struggling at work, God wants to move me on. No, 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 no. He might want to teach you perseverance. He might want to teach you character formation, etc., etc., etc. Lastly, but not least, to delight ourselves in the Lord is to delight in what He delights in, right? Makes sense? If we're to delight in the Lord, it means taking pleasure in what He takes pleasure in. And in Psalm 18, verse 19, we find out one thing that delights Him. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because I want you to read it with me. He rescued me because He rescued me because Jesus didn't go to the cross only because He had, he had to go to the cross. There was no other way. But that's not the only reason why He went to the cross. He went to the cross because he delights in you, Mike. Think about that. Stay with that. Let that linger in your spirit. He delights in you. For no other reason. Not because you can do great things for him. Just like he wants you to delight in himself as an end in itself. Guess what? He delights in you as an end in itself. He delights in us. You see, it's very difficult to make God our pleasure if we think God is against us. In the, best, in the worst case scenario, or in the best case scenario, He puts up with us. Right? And I'm saying to you, delight in the Lord, delight in all. And you're going, oh, I, I think God just puts up with me, to be honest. Maybe that's why you struggle delighting in the Lord, finding pleasure in God, because in your heart of hearts, you don't think He's all that delighted in you. Perhaps you've done something. Perhaps you have 
messed up. Maybe because you are involved in something that is shameful. He's not happy with that. That's, that's one thing, but he still delights in you. He's not delighted in you doing that, but he still delights in you. We're bummer lambs. That is true, but we're also fully embraced by our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd. In Isaiah 40, verse 11, we have this beautiful picture. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. If you believe in this picture of God, it will make it easier for you to delight yourself in him and make him your pleasure. So, for your application this week, and those of you who know me, I always want to finish my sermon with an application. Now what do I do with what I've just heard? Number one, watch episode two of the series of the study, God's at War. Those of you who are not part of a Life Together group, that's okay. Just go to YouTube and in the search bar, type God's at War, episode two. And have a listen to, to Paul Jones' story, his testimony, how he got addicted to food and how God set him free. Those of you who are part of a Life Together group, you've heard this. I want to encourage you to hear his testimony again, his story again. It contains great insights Insights that can be extrapolated to other pleasure addictions. Number two, practice. We've talked about being present to the Lord. Well, practice being present to the Lord and His delight over you. Specifically, next time when you read the Bible, pray before you read the Bible. Pray a simple prayer and expect God to speak to you, to teach you something you didn't know before. That is what you can do. Next, the other way we can practice the presence of the Lord is this. Whatever talents, gifts, skill you have, next time you use it in the workplace, next time you use it at home, next time you use it in your front line, repeat after a little. God, you have made me for a purpose. And part of that purpose is to... And when I... I feel... Your pleasure. I declare your pleasure in me, even if I don't feel it. Right? Okay? So next time, whatever it is you're doing. I practiced that this morning and yesterday. Those of you who know me, you know how I, I find preaching a sermon stressful. Preparing it. The preaching part is okay. It's preparing it. And I thought about this, you know, I thought about little, and I thought, you know, I never think like little. And so I decided yesterday, God, you have made me for a purpose, and part of that purpose is to teach your people your word. And when I teach your word, I feel your pleasure. I know your pleasure. Something new. To me, it's a job, right? It's what I do. It's what I'm paid to do. I can look at it like that. 
I can look at it as a duty and my obligations. It's that. It's all those things. But fundamentally, it is using this gift that God has given me and saying, God, I give it back to you. I delight in you. I feel your pleasure. Because I'm doing what you're asking me to do. Surely God is delighted with us. Parents, weren't you delighted with your children when they did amazing things? You jumped up and down. Even when they came last in the 100 meter race. Yay! You did it, kiddo! Woohoo! They gave you such pleasure. And we give God the same kind of pleasure. Number three. Have you become a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God? Something to think about. Talk honestly to God about it. And perhaps consider talking to someone about it and get prayer. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that the Christian life, the abundant life you've given us, involves pleasure. It involves having a great time. That Christians can have a great time. That Christians can party and have the time of their lives. But we have something more. And that is, Lord, we don't live for pleasure because pleasures can only get us so far. The ultimate pleasure is not found in the world, is not found in entertainment, is not found in food, is not found in the and the things that we see around us, the ultimate pleasure we seek, the ultimate thrill-seeking we seek, is God-shaped. It's you. And so I pray for us that you teach us how to delight in you, how to make you our pleasure as an end in itself. And this, this is the ultimate desire of our heart, a longing of our heart that you want to fulfill and satisfy. That we do not use you, but that, Lord, we enjoy you. Teach us how to do that. Teach us how to worship you in spirit and in truth. Teach us how to delight in you for your own sake. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.